podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 9th of March, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location. Why do you want to do that? Well, if you're outside the US but want to access US Netflix or have a Peacock account or, you know, maybe get HBO Max, changing your, your location will be the first step in doing that. You can also keep your data safe when you're online, which is very important in this day and age. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. And we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, two games last night, so we'll jump into them. Uh, First one was Chelsea. Two, Everton nil. I think this was the best performance of the Thomas Tuchel era so far by Chelsea. I thought they played really well. I thought they were quite dominant in the game. They're still struggling to score goals. They did get two last night. One's an own goal. One's a penalty. 19 shots, nine on target, as opposed to seven from Everton with one on target. But you didn't feel like Chelsea were really opening them up. They were dominating play, controlling possession in midfield, moving the ball nicely, moving Everton's defence around nicely. But that final ball tended to be lacking. Now, we saw a slightly different look up front from Chelsea. Kai Havertz played as a false nine, Timo Werner to his right, and Callum Hudson-Odoi to his left, both of those in sort of slightly withdrawn roles. It worked really well. It functioned quite well. I thought this was the best we've seen Havertz in a Premier League match. Werner had some struggles. He's better on the left of that trio. The role Hudson-Odoi played last night, that's the role Werner should be in. Tuchel had somewhat of a meltdown at Werner mid-game, screaming at him that he'd been on the left for 15 minutes. Did he not know he was meant to be on the right? And I think he would have been better off on the right. I think he would have performed better. I think Hudson-Odoi would also have benefited from playing on the right. I think Pulisic on the right with Werner on the left behind Havertz in that false nine role is something we'll see quite soon. I think that will lead to Mason Mount dropping deeper, going into central midfield, which I think is where he will play long term. If they were to add a Declan Rice or somebody like that in the summer, I think that's your long-term pairing. Yves Basima is another one who's been strongly linked there. Um, All in all, a really good performance from Chelsea. They went 1-0 up. Kai Havertz's shot was deflected. Well, it was a cross that he got a clip onto, and it was deflected by Ben Godfrey and passed the flailing Jordan Pickford. Pickford would make one good save for Marcus Alonso, but then didn't cover himself in glory, giving away a penalty by taking down Havertz. And Jorginho stepped up with a hop, skip and a jump to put them 2-0 up. 
Everton never really threatened. Their best opportunity fell to Richarlison, who missed by about 14 yards. Um, slightly disappointing performance from Everton. Did expect more from them in this game, if I'm honest. They didn't really get a foothold at all. And they kind of ceded momentum and territory to Chelsea very, very early. You were hoping that Chelsea would really have a go, in, or that Everton, rather, would really have a go in the first 15 and sort of set a marker down. But it never really happened. They kind of sat in a bit too much. They didn't string passes together. When you see a midfield trio of Alan, Gomez and Sigurdsson, you need to have the ball for that to work because Gomez and Sigurdsson can't run. And Alan can only do so much by himself. But Everton couldn't keep hold of the ball. They were very, very lax with some of their passing. I thought when Tom Davies came on, he at least brought some fight to the team. I think they would have been better off starting with him next to Alan in that 3-4-1-2 situation. You could tell they went with the back three and the four across the middle to match up with what they knew was coming from, from Chelsea. And I think that Chelsea shape worked really nicely. Havertz seemed very, very comfortable in that role as a false nine. And I think if you play him there with Pulisic and Werner rather than Werner and Hudson-Odoi, you'll give him even more flexibility and that he can drop behind the other two as well and go from what is a 3-4-2-1 to a 3-4-1-2 and allow the other two to break beyond him. Chelsea have an awful lot of quality in their squad. They still have needs. There's no question that they have needs. This summer, they're likely going to spend a substantial amount of money once again. But I really don't think it needs to be in that that final third. Now, if Tammy Abraham and Oli Giroud go, as is rumoured, Abraham strongly linked to Villa, rumoured to be interesting, another, a couple of other clubs, Giroud will have offers from overseas without question. Then perhaps you look to bring in, you know, a squad number nine, someone that you can rotate with Havertz, play with Havertz, someone that's not going to demand to start every single game, but someone that you can rely on if you need them to start every single game. I don't think their best move is to go and blow a hundred million on a striker. I think that hundred million could be much better spent addressing the goalkeeper, the defense centre midfield the wing backs are sorted it'll be James and Chilwell long term you'd imagine Alonso is playing much better under Tuchel because he's playing as a wing back which is his natural position he's never really been a full back James looks more comfortable as a wing back as well if they get a holding midfielder to rotate in with the likes of Jorginho and Kante someone who's a a Declan Rice type that sitting shield who can also play a bit. Then you get Jorginho, who's not very good defensively, but very good on the ball. And then Kante is kind of a roaming destroyer. You can rotate them. And then if you rotate Kovacic and Mount in the other role, and Kovacic is the perfect person for Mason Mount to learn from. Similar type of game. Mount more attacking by nature, but Kovacic was a very attacking player when he was younger, when he was at Dinamo Zagreb. He's become more defensive orientated and plays a little bit more conservative now after years at Real Madrid and into Milan. But 
when he was younger, he wanted to get forward. That's what Mount wants to do. I think Mount is intelligent enough to make that transition. I think he can be very good at it as well. I think not by this Euros, obviously, but by the next Euros, I think we could see Mason Mount playing in the midfield too and been very, very comfortable there for England. Um, and as I say, in defence, Christensen's playing really well. Whether this is another one of the false dawns for him at Chelsea or not, we'll have to wait and see. You'd ideally like a left-footed centre-back to come in and give some balance there. Uh, I have seen rumours that Pau Torres of Villarreal is someone that they like. <clears throat> so that could be an interesting one. And then the likes of Zuma, Rudiger, Aspilicueta can probably make it all work as that right-sided one for another year. Uh, I wouldn't trust the goalkeeper. I think he, he flaps an awful lot, pushes shots back into dangerous areas, and his decision-making is quite poor. But they'll have to they'll have to find a buyer for Kepa before they can do anything with the goalkeeper situation. So for Chelsea, I mean, it's promising. It's all very, very promising for them. They are fourth in the league, three points behind Leicester. Things have turned around massively, obviously, under Tuchel. They're still unbeaten. Back-to-back wins now over the Merseyside clubs. Their next run of games, they have Leeds next Saturday in Leeds. Then they get Atletico Madrid at home in the second leg of their Champions League round of 16. They're 1-0 up from the first leg and they'll be confident that they'll go through at home. Then it is Sheffield United in the FA Cup quarterfinal. Again, a game they'll be confident of winning. West Brom at home in the league. Crystal Palace away. And Brighton at home. Well, that would be the next four in the league. Leeds, West Brom, Crystal Palace, Brighton, and then West Ham away. So it, it's not the toughest run. There's definitely, you know, at least four games in that five that they'll expect to win. I think the only one they'd maybe be a little bit hesitant over is West is West Ham because of how well West Ham are playing. But again, Chelsea should beat them. They have a better team. West Ham are the own sorry West Ham were the only top half team that Frank Lampard managed to beat this season. Um so Chelsea will you know will feel confident that they can do the double. If Tuchel can can run this out to the end of the season and stay unbeaten that would be a really really strong achievement and if he can finish second or ter- or third which does look likely as things stand just given the inconsistencies we've seen from Leicester and from United. And the fact that Tuchel has been able to close that gap to the top four really quick, it would be a great achievement and give them real momentum going into next season. The talent was always there in the squad. It was always there. The manager was holding them back. Now they have a real manager who's also, you know, one of the best coaches in world football. You see the difference. They're night and day from what they were under Lampard. Defensively, they're much, much more solid. They have real structure. They seem to have some organization at the back now. In possession, they're a lot more purposeful. They've defined patterns of play. They know what they want to do. It just becomes a matter of executing. With Lampard, it was clearly a message of go out and run around for a while, lads. Let your talent do the talking. Uh, with Tuchel, it's, I'll tell you what to do. Just do it and it'll work. They're a different team. 
They really are. Everton are sixth in the table, which is a great accomplishment for them. They've played the same amount of games as West Ham and Tottenham, but they do still have a game in hand on the top four. So a win in that game, which is against Aston Villa, would put them only one point behind Chelsea in the top four race. They have Burnley next in the league. That's a home game. Then Manchester City at home in the FA Cup. Then Crystal Palace at home. Brighton away. Tottenham at home. And then Arsenal away. That is a difficult run of games. They'll expect to win against Burnley, Palace and away to Brighton, I think. But each of them presents a different challenge. Well, Burnley and Palace present a very similar challenge. But you go to Brighton, you know they're going to have a good bit of the ball. They're going to create some chances. Defensively, they're going to be very, very strong without being overly defensive. What I mean by that is they're going to limit the opportunities that you have. They're not going to park the bus. But they do make it very difficult to score against them. Then they get the North London teams. And obviously, you know, Tottenham playing well again. We don't know what Arsenal will turn up on a given day. It's a it's a rough enough run. It is a rough enough run. Burnley are the type of team that could turn up at Goodison. And Everton are the type of team that could allow them to turn up at Goodison and leave with three points. The same with Palace. Like I said, that Brighton game will be tough. And then the North London teams are always going to be difficult. Um, second game of the evening. West Ham 2, Leeds 0. Fairly comfortable outing, I thought, for West Ham. Leeds had more of the ball. Leeds had more shots, but rarely worked the goalkeeper. It was a very, very easy evening's work for Fabianski. Um, the Hammers went 1-0 up. Jesse Lingard, he won the penalty and then had his penalty saved and tapped in the rebound. Lingard's form since joining West Ham has been very, very good. Now, I did feel he disappeared from this game yesterday. He had a bright start and then wasn't really a factor. For all their possession and all that's good about them, Leeds remain the worst team I've ever seen when it comes to defending set pieces. Craig Dawson added a second goal in 28 minutes with a free header from a set piece. It was just stunningly bad defensive work from Leeds. And it doesn't really seem to matter who is in the Leeds team. They're just bad at defending set pieces. And they had Calvin Phillips back yesterday. Ailing was back to right back. Lorente and Cooper continue at centre back. It's a strong defensive unit in play. But without the ball, or sorry, at, at set pieces, they're just hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. I think Luke Ailing and Stuart Dallas being the full backs has become an issue for them. Neither are particularly good defensively, both good going forward. Both add to the attacking system, but both struggle defensively. Leeds need to address this set-piece issue in the summer because I've genuinely not seen anybody as bad. Dawson hit the post with another header, 
um, not long after he 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 scored. And like this is Craig Dawson. This isn't some you know Goliath. Craig Dawson's like six one six two. He's not massive. He shouldn't, and he's not a particularly great athlete. He shouldn't be out jumping all your defenders with absolute ease. And he certainly shouldn't have a yard of space all around him to do it. Uh, Dawson has proved to be a very good signing for West Ham on loan from Watford. It's quite the turnaround because he was dreadful for Watford last season. Absolutely dreadful. He'd been pretty poor for West Brom in his last two seasons there. So for him to bounce back the way he has is is really impressive. And it has to be said, Issa Diop is playing very, very well next to him. That partnership is working really well. Now, in the summer, I said Michael Keane next to Diop would be the ideal signing. Dawson is a similar type of player to Michael Keane. It does seem like that type of partner, just somebody who's not spectacular, but really, really steady, really experienced, keeps the defense nice and tight. That's working next to Issa Diop. I wonder in the summer what West Ham do. Do they, I, I, I assume they'll keep Dawson. And I assume Balbuena will leave. But do they keep Dawson as a starter or do they keep him as a squad player? Because they could keep him as a squad player and him and Ogbonna would be a really good backup pairing. But they would need to buy a starter next to Diop. Now he may just keep Dawson and Ogbonna as starters. And Diop could be the third and he could add a fourth. But there was rumours that they wanted James Tarkovsky again from that same kind of mould. And Tarkovsky and Diop could be a good pairing. Moyes likes to have that one sort of rugged leader, small spaces type defender. Jaggy Elka was that for him at, at Everton. He does then like to have someone who's a little bit more of a ball player. Sylvan Distan was that player at Everton. Ogbonna has been that player. Diop is that player. So I wonder if he looks to keep Dawson and then bring in an upgrade on Dawson as well, or even just a younger version of Dawson. West Ham are going to be really interesting to watch this summer because there's obviously questions over Declan Rice and whether or not he stays. I think they might get some offers for Suchek. They'll need to add a left back. I think they could do it a new goalkeeper. And they need one up front. Because Antonio can only play a certain amount of games. But whether or not the owners are going to be willing to fund a whole lot of much, I don't know. Now, if they've got European football, that might just give them the jolt that they need to open the wallets a little bit. But fifth on 48 points after after 27 games is an incredible achievement by David Moyes. No matter what happens over the next 11 games, well, barring losing them all, uh, which won't happen. But West Ham are having a tremendous season. They've got Manchester United away next. Then they're home to Arsenal, away to Wolves, at home to Leicester. And then it's Newcastle away. That is a very, very difficult run. 
Um, United, obviously, second place in the league. Beat them earlier in the season. Arsenal beat them earlier in the season as well, but I do think they will be confident that they can beat Arsenal this time around. Wolves and Leicester back-to-back is interesting because their season really kicked off when they played Wolves and then Leicester earlier in the season. You think back to the start of the year, they lost at home to Newcastle, lost at the Emirates, and then their season started when they they had that horrible run coming up where it was Wolves, Leicester, Tottenham City, Liverpool. They beat Wolves 4-0. Then they went and beat Leicester 3-0. Then they get a 3-3 draw with Spurs. That's where their season started, and they have not looked back since then. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do the double over both of those teams. Newcastle away, it's a game they should win, but it will be a scrappy game. It'll be really interesting to see if Steve Bruce is still in charge by then. Newcastle are going to be battling for every single point. For Leeds, 11th in the league, it's four defeats out of five, which is a you know is a bad run. But again, 11th in the league for a newly promoted team. 35 points from their 27 games. Defence has been the issue all season. Uh, Up next for them is Chelsea at home. That's going to be obviously very, very tough. Chelsea in great form. Then it's Leeds. uh, Then, sorry, then Leeds travel to Fulham. Then they get Sheffield United at home. Then Man City away and then Liverpool at home. So it's, it's a tough, tough run of games. Chelsea in great form. Leeds don't travel well to London and Fulham are in good form. Sheffield United should be a banker win. Away to Man City, you can't expect too much. Now, it depends on what Liverpool reappear after the international break, but that you would hope that Liverpool are something more resembling themselves uh, when that game play, is played on the 17th of April. So that will be a tough one. Um then they go United at home, Brighton away, Tottenham at home, Burnley away, Southampton away, and West Brom at home on the final day. So the run-in's not that bad. United and Tottenham, obviously, tough games, but Brighton, Burnley, Southampton, and West Brom are all games they'll fancy getting something from. And obviously that Sheffield United game as well. So, I mean... 45 points is is probably a very realistic target for them. And I think that would be absolutely, absolutely solid if they could pull that this season. They could even push for 50. Um, You know they're going to put back-to-back wins together at some point because they're a very streaky team. They've only drawn twice this season. Um, The only other team with that few draws is Sheffield United. And for them, it's more because they've lost so many. Uh, Leeds have won 11 same as Arsenal. They have lost 14, uh, which there's only two teams in the league that have lost more games, the bottom two, West Brom on 16 and Sheffield United on 22. Newcastle have lost as many. But it's those, it's it's wins. Wins are what you want. Draws will kill you in the Premier League. I mean, Brighton and Fulham both have 11 draws and it's why they are where they are. Both teams should be a lot higher in the league. But because they've drawn so many games, you're dropping points all the time. Uh, No Premier League tonight, but there is two Champions League games. 
Juventus will take on Porto. Uh, Porto won the first leg 2-1 in Porto. So Juve on their home turf have to overcome that. I think they'll be fairly confident that they can. Porto are they're good. They're not great. They're not having a fantastic season in Portugal. Juve not having a great domestic season either. And, and like Celtic, look like they're about to fall just short of their 10-in-a-row target. But you'd expect them and Cristiano to overcome Porto tonight. And then Dortmund against Sevilla in the other one. Dortmund won 3-2 in Sevilla. So at home with an advantage. It all depends on the fitness of Erling Haaland. He went off injured at the weekend against Bayern Munich, having scored two goals in about 43 seconds. Um, Dortmund will be confident of winning at home. but. If Haaland's not there, you'd have to give Sevilla a big, big chance. Sevilla, very good team. Obviously won the Europa League last year. They've got quality players throughout their team. From Kunde at the back to Ocampus on the wing. There's talent there. They're well managed. They play a nice brand of football as well. Um, so those two games tonight, both at 8pm. More interesting evening tomorrow with PSG, Bar- Barca and Liverpool Leipzig. Plus a Premier League game as well with Man City. So you would say that this is going to be a decent week of football. There's Europa League Thursday, Premier League is back on Friday. So you've got football every night, so that's quite nice. We'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll go through the news. Right, a story that came out over the weekend that I meant to talk about yesterday and completely forgot about uh, from the Daily Mail is that Chris Wilder's position at Sheffield United may be under threat as he has clashed with the owner over the club's transfer policy and their plan for introducing a director of football. Now, Wilder apparently is against the idea of a director of football, but the owner is adamant that it's something that's going to take place. He wants somebody to take control of recruitment because Sheffield United's recruitment has not been particularly good. I think if we look at their recruitment since coming into the Premier League, they've spent a substantial amount of money. They just haven't spent it very, very well. So they come up, obviously, in the summer of 2019. They sign Luke Freeman for $5 million from QPR. He's currently on loan at Nottingham Forest, which will tell you how well that's gone. They signed Jagielka. That was obviously more of a, you know, a nostalgia signing than anything, really. Now, he's played a lot this season. I don't think they expect him to. They signed Callum Robinson uh, from Preston North End. He's currently playing for West Bromwich Albion. They signed Ravel Morrison on a free. Uh, he is a free agent now, no longer plays for the club. They paid $10 million for Lise Mousset. Lise Mousset's a talented player and at 25 still has plenty of room for growth, but he scored six goals in 37 league games so far for them and has only played seven league games this season. He has had his injury issues, but he hasn't been a consistent goal scorer. He wasn't a consistent goal scorer at Bournemouth, and you could argue that at Bournemouth he was a bit of a disappointment. He played 58, 58 games in the league scored three goals, 71 in all competitions, 
scored five. Now, Bournemouth bought him from Le Havre in 2016 for about six and a half million pounds. And after three disappointing seasons, Sheffield United saw fit to pay ten million pounds for him. That to me is a little bit bizarre that they paid so much for a player who had disappointed in his time at his previous club. They brought in Ben Osborne from Nottingham Forest. I believe they paid about four million for him. Rarely starts. Has has never established himself in the team. Ollie McBurney was signed for twenty million pounds from Swansea off the back of one really good season where he scored 22 goals in 42 games in the championship. He scored seven in 57 Premier League games. Seven in 62 in all competitions since joining. His entire career, he scored 51 in 182. And the vast majority of them came in the championship or lower down. He scored five for Chester in the Conference Premier in 15 games in League One for Bradford City. He never scored. 20 games for Bradford overall, never scored. Went on loan to Newport, managed to get three goals in three games. Went on loan to Bristol Rovers, didn't score in five games. Nine in 17 in the Championship. For Barnsley. Had no goals in 16 Premier League games for Swansea. Got loaned to Barnsley for half a season. Swansea got relegated. He came back into the team. And he had that great season. And it was. He was tremendous that season. In the Championship. And they paid £20 for him. And he hasn't worked. Now the problem is they bought Musset and McBurney. Both of whom are better when played with a goal scorer type. And they tried to use them as a pairing. And they weren't made to play together. They'll do all that you want except score goals. They'll hold the ball up. They'll work the channels. They're good players. They're just not goal scorers. But that was $30 million on the two of them. Uh, they signed like Jack Rodwell and Jack Robinson on, on free transfers. And then they brought in Sander Berger for $22 million from Genk. Now, I thought that was a really good signing. I think he's been really good for them. It was a big coup for them to get a player in of his profile, his potential. He's obviously been injured for most of this season, so that's unfortunate. They brought in Dean Henderson on loan. They'd had him the previous season. That was a great signing. Mo Besic never really got any run. Uh, Panaretsos couldn't stay fit. And Richario Zivkovic, I don't think he kicked a ball for them, did he? Did he kick a ball? Oh, he did. He played five games for them as substitute. Now, it was only a loan, so it's not a big deal. But all things considered, that's poor recruitment. Berger, good signing. The rest haven't worked. And it's some expensive mistakes. There's about 40 million badly spent there and I just don't think a club like Sheffield United can afford that and then when you consider what they did this past summer uh, Wes Fodderingham brought in from Rangers on a free that's fine backup goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale for around 20 million had been the worst goalkeeper in the league with Bournemouth 
has been the worst goalkeeper in the league again this season. Now, he has improved recently, but he's still been largely dreadful all season. Um, Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle brought in from Derby. I quite like that, and I think they got them under value as well because of Derby's financial situation, but they still spent you know, 10, 12 million for the pair. Uh, Ollie Burke, I, I believe that was like 10 million and Robinson, or 5 million and Robinson. Uh, that hasn't worked at all. He he is basically a fridge with legs. Like if you put like a Harley Davidson engine into a fridge and roll it down a hill, that's basically what you get when Ollie Burke starts moving. Uh, looks very very impressive, but no real technical ability. Um, Koulibaly was a young player signed for the the long term. Uh, he was loaned out to Beershot, who are there sister company or sister club they then paid 24 million for Rian Brewster and I like Brewster and I think he's talented but 24 million for a guy who hadn't scored a Premier League goal for someone with 11 goals in 22 appearances again for Swansea someone whose career to that point was 26 senior games and you pay 24 million for him just, it was a massive gamble. You got the feeling that West, uh, sorry, that Sheffield United originally wanted him on loan, but couldn't get Liverpool to agree to the loan, or Liverpool got an offer from somewhere else because there was a couple of other clubs interested in him, and I'm guessing that they panicked. And unfortunately, that's a noose around the neck of the manager. Again, it's just bad use of funds. They had no shortage of money. They spent over sixty million in the summer, but all of it, as things stand, is is badly spent because Bogle and Lowe, as talented as they are, they're not getting much game time. Like we're still seeing Enda Stevens and George Baldock as the starters. Lowe has played eight Premier League games this season. Now, Bogle, I know, had a couple of injuries, but he still only played 11 Premier League games. And he's played well, but he's still not getting a starting role. Wilder's been a little bit too loyal to the players that you know brought them up from League One into the Championship, Championship to the Premiership, and then kept them there. And Unfortunately, he needed to start turning the team over a little bit, and he didn't. Wilder himself has come out and admitted that a, a, a shake-up is needed, and that a couple need to go. But who do you sell? Like, if you look at their squad, you're not going to sell Ramsdale. If you did, you'd lose an absolute fortune. Their other goalkeepers are Fodderingham, who's fine. Uh, Michael Verrups, Dutch goalkeeper, third-choice keeper. And Simon Moore, who I think is just there for the, the quota. You're not going to sell either of those, any of those three. George Baldock, Enda Stevens, Jack O'Connell, Chris Basham, John Egan, Max Lowe, Fig, Phil Jagielka, Jack Robinson, Jaden Bogle, Ethan Ampadu, and Kean Bryan are the defenders in this squad. I mean, Baldock, Stevens, and Egan are decent players. I don't know that they'd bring in big return. Basham is in his 30s. He's not going to bring in a whole lot of money, and he's been poor this season. O'Connell is the best of the group by a substantial distance, but 
he's missed most of this season and missed a good chunk of last season as well. Um, I don't think they want to sell low or Bogle. You're not going to get a penny for Jaggy Elka or Robinson. They don't own Ethan Ampadu. Key and Brian is the only one there that they could sell. But I mean, again, what are they going to get from? He's a 24 year old utility player who's played nine nine games for the club in his three seasons that they've. Oh, sorry, 15 games in the three seasons they've owned him. He went on loan for a few months last year to. Bolton, his experience is in the lower leagues. I don't see that there's a lot of money to be had from selling him. In midfield, there's not going to be a whole lot of interest in John Fleck. Lundstrom's away on a free. Again, won't be much interest in in Ollie Norwood or Ben Osborne. I I don't know if you'd give Jack Rodwell away at this point. So it's Sander Berger. Um, He's the only one there that you could sell. Up front, you're not going to get your money back on McBurney. Nobody will give you money for, for Sharp. You could sell Lise Mousset and maybe make back half what you paid. I don't know that there'll be any interest in Ollie Burke. David McGoldrick would have some interest, but what would you get for him? I mean, he's not young. He's 33 years of age. Um, I, I, I don't know that you'd get more than a couple of million for him. You'll lose... You're cold if you sell Rian Brewster, so what can you do with that? Um, and then the young young fella, Antoine, ha- ha- Antoine Hackford. Again, there's no money to be had there. So the only player you can sell who's going to bring in decent money is Sander Berger, who's the best player at the club. You, like, if you can keep him, you have to keep him. You surely are going down with the intention of coming straight back up. I think Wilder needs to give in to a director of football. I think he needs to allow that to happen because his choices are he can either spend his career working for smart clubs, all of whom employ directors of football, or you know he can go back to working for smaller clubs or stupid clubs who don't have them. But in the Premier League now, there's very few clubs that don't have a director of football or a sporting director or a technical director. Pretty much every club has one now. And Chris Wilder's too good a manager not to work for a good club. And he's only 53, so he's got still a long time left in his career. And surely he'll want most of it to be spent, you know, in the top flight. I think he needs to give into it. I don't think there's any shame in it in just admitting that, you know, there's there's not enough time for a manager to oversee the day-to-day and the recruitment side of things. And I don't think Sheffield United can afford to lose him because he is as good as they're going to get. Anybody they bring in from here will be worse than him. Wilder himself says there are a couple that need to go. They have to go at the end of the season. I'd like to shake it up a little bit more quickly, but the rules and regs for that don't allow me to. So obviously he's saying there's players there right now who he'd like to get rid of straight away. 
Now, they have been unfortunate this season with Egan, Basham, and Berger getting injured, you know, in recent months. Jack O'Connell got injured right at the, at the start of the season. But I don't that excuses where they are and what their season has become. They've just been really, really poor. Um, Berger and Basham are due back fairly soon. Egan, I think, has a toe injury. And O'Connell, it's pretty much this season. Um, speaking of the season, bad news for Brighton, as Tariq Lamptey has been ruled out for the rest of the season. He's going to have an operation on a hamstring injury that has kept him out since Christmas time. Now, it's a tendon injury in the hamstring, which doesn't sound particularly good. And when a player misses what will be six months minimum with a hamstring injury, that doesn't bode well. The benefit for Brighton is that they will likely now get to keep him. He had been subject of interest from Arsenal and a couple of other clubs. You'd imagine with an injury like this, there will be red flags raised and clubs will look elsewhere. Max Ahrens and people like that could become of more interest. Um, it's a shame for Lamptey because obviously he had a very good first half of the season. But it's just it's just one of those things. He'll have missed six months. He should be fresh for next season. Uh, David Ornstein says Kylian Mbappe's wages mean a move to Manchester City is unlikely, but that City still view Erling Haaland and Romelu Lukaku as options. Haaland's agent is Mina Raiola who's had some issues with City in the past but his dad is obviously a former City player Alfinga um, City also apparently have long standing interest in Harry Kane but you, you don't see that Spurs are going to sell him too easily and certainly not to, to City um, City don't want to break their wage structure for Mbappe is apparently the reason because that could uh, create Disharmony inside the dressing room. It's also thought to be one of the factors affecting City's attempts to extend the contract of Kevin De Bruyne, whose current contract expires in 2023. And he wants, you know, he wants to be paid for the work that he's done. He's been their best player. He's been one of the best players in the league, if not the best player in the league, over the last three, four years. And he wants to be paid like it. It's absolutely fair. Um, in other news, Mark Noble has agreed a one-year extension with West Ham. At this point in his career, he's very much a squad player. You'd imagine that he will move into the coaching staff um, after next year. He might even move into it as part of his new contract. But it's probably important for them to keep him around just for you know leadership presence, experience, reliability that they can bring him on for 15, 20 minutes here and there, and he, he'll he'll do what David Moyes is asking. Uh, bad news for Southampton. Danny Ings will be ruled out for around three weeks. Um, he was injured with a, uh, sorry, taken off with a groin issue uh, at the weekend against Sheffield United. So he will miss the Premier League games against Manchester City and Burnley and the FA Cup quarterfinal against Bournemouth. Ings has had a tough enough season for injuries. Started the season in great form. And I think this is his third injury of the season, which is unfortunate. And I kind of all come in line with with their struggles. Only played 19 games so far in the season. So 
Look, it, it's the it's the risk with Danny Ings. It's always been the risk with Danny Ings um, since he had those problems at Liverpool. You know, he a bit of an injury plagued first season with Southampton. Last season, managed to shake it all off. Played every league game, scored twenty two goals. But the injuries are back this season, and the goals have have dropped off as well. Uh, in the Daily Mirror, there's an exclusive. Steven Gerrard is ready to succeed Klopp at Liverpool. This is the type of absolute nonsense. And it's John Aaron Arisa who's said this. So, like, why this, you know, requires anybody to pay attention, I don't know. Uh, the big news is that Joachim Lowe is stepping down as manager of the German national team after 15 years in charge, of course. Won the World Cup in 2014. And he'd retire a legend. Now, whether he is retiring or whether he's going to go into club management, we don't know. He wasn't a particularly good club manager um, prior to taking the German job. So, you know, whether a big club would be willing to gamble on him or not, I don't know. Germany have disappointed in the last couple of international tournaments. Um, I'm I'm really not sure what he's going to do next, to be honest. 15 years in a job like that is an awful long time. He's still youngish, though. He's only 61. So maybe he'll fancy a different challenge. The question is, who do they get to replace him? I mean, the big four German managers are Klopp, who's not going to take it next this this year. Tuchel, who's not going to take it, Nagelsmann, who's not going to take it, and Hansi Flick, who was his his apprentice and assistant. But, I mean, I don't see him walking out on Bayern at this point. So, do they go for another Joachim Lowe, someone that's under the radar? I mean, he was managing Austria Vienna when he was appointed as assistant. He was assistant to Jürgen Klinsmann. Um... That's going to be interesting to see. Who did Germany go for? They'll likely try and have somebody lined up before the Euros so that they know what their succession plan is. They're German, so they'll be very efficient about it. Uh, It could be something that they look in-house for. So maybe someone who's involved in the youth setup. Uh, Stefan Kunz is the... Under-21 manager, I think he's been there for quite a while, uh, five years now. So maybe him. He's the only one really that I know of. I I don't really pay much attention to the German underage teams. Um, So I would guess if they go in-house, they'll go with him, like similar to what England did with, with Gareth Southgate. The Champions League is set to be reformed and expanded after 2024, moving potentially to the Swiss model, which is that basically rather than a group, than individual groups, all the teams go into a league and then are drawn at random to play a mix of 10 different teams from the different individual tiers. So the seeding would stay, but everybody would be in the same group and you would play, you know, two teams from this tier and from this tier group, this team, two teams from this tier group, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, rather than six 
group stage matches, you'd play 10 matches. So they're trying to get those extra four games. Now, I think it seems a little silly to expand it and then force everybody into one group. Whereas I think the best option would be to play, to split it into two different leagues rather than one. I just think you'd get a better balance and I think it'd be a bit more, a bit fairer. Um, They're going to upscale it to 36 teams. And to me, just 36 teams in one group, just it it's just going to be very very messy whereas i think two groups of 18 if you play 10 games based on whatever seeding rules they're going to use i think that will work better i think it's a bit of a strange move and it is a bit of a a shift towards the european super league that has been talked about um it's very much been driven by the big clubs juventus are very vocal about wanting this uh, the Spanish clubs, Milan, or Madrid and, and Barca have been very, very vocal about wanting this because, look, clubs are feeling the pinch at the minute. Um, in the What's Hot column in the Daily Star, the top story is that Mohamed Salah has reportedly told Liverpool that he wants to leave and already has a destination in mind, according to Spanish outlet. I don't even know how to say that word, but these are no marks who are just making stuff up. How on earth would they know what Mohamed Salah wants? Uh, Rio Ferdinand has compared Arsenal to a promiscuous girlfriend who Mikel Arteta must lack so much trust and faith in after dropping to mid-table. They've been mid-table all season. Uh, he slammed Thomas Partey, apparently. Uh, Angelino says that Trent Alexander-Arnold is too offensive, which is very much a case of the pot calling the kettle black. Jose Mourinho says Gareth Bale has beaten a psychological barrier to return to his best form after Tottenham, after he scored twice for Tottenham. So apparently one game is a return to form. That's good to know. Uh, Marcus Rashford, good news for him. He doesn't have ankle ligament damage, but his ankle is up like a balloon. So he's expected to miss this week's game against Milan and potentially miss the game against West Ham at the weekend. David Ornstein also says that Matt Ritchie cleared out his locker in January because he expected to leave. Tensions have been, uh, you know, heightened between him and Steve Bruce after the massive bust-up last week but apparently this all stemmed from Richie was due to join Bournemouth in January and the deal fell through um that's the second time he's been due to go there because he was due to join them in the summer and something happened um it's weird he was he extended his contract last March i think then when covid hit and all things changed he started wanting to go back to the south coast where his family are um his family are based so you know that's understandable but i mean why sign the contract um yeah apparently he just feels that bruce has has let him down england plan to call up kieran trippier and jude bellingham despite covid19 restrictions if they do 
that is shameful from Gareth Bale or Gareth South Gareth Bale poor Gareth Bale from Gareth Southgate because both of those players could have quarantine problems when they go back. England don't need them. Uh, England are going to play San Marino, Poland, and Austria. Jaden Sancho is going to miss these games, and so that obviously he's out of the Champions League game as well. So it, it may be an option for Callum Hudson Odoi to get back in the England squad and get some minutes there, but they don't need to call up Bellingham or Kieran Trippier. They, I think FIFA should only be allowing clubs to call up players locally based in their own country for these international games. I don't think these international games should be taking place at all. I think they're an absolute nonsense. And um, last bit of news then is that uh, Premier League clubs are pushing for a later start date to next season. Initial plans would see the 2021-22 campaign begin on the same date as the EFL, which is set to be August the 7th. But Premier League clubs who are concerned about a quick turnaround prefer August the 14th as the start date. Now, traditionally, the Premier League does start a week after the EFL, so I think that's absolutely fine. Obviously, quick turnaround this season from last season, Euros and everything else going on this summer, I think it's absolutely understandable for Premier League clubs to push for that extra week and wouldn't even be a bad thing to push for an extra two weeks. Um, We'll wrap up with the gossip then. Uh, Erling Haaland will have the pick of Europe's elite sides to choose from this summer with Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid and Juventus all interested in signing him. Understandable. I mean, he's a freak of nature, so why wouldn't you want to sign him? He's going to be guaranteed goals for the next 10 to 12 years. Jurgen Klopp retains the full support of Liverpool's club owners, Fenway Sports Group, despite their recent poor form. Of course he does, but does do they retain his full support is the question. There was quite the uh, the fluff and bluster offensive yesterday from FSG as they used some of their minions to push out stories of how they'd reinvested everything they could and done all they could in the Jan- January transfer market, which is nonsense. And the key, in, key word was reinvest, not invest. Um, they haven't done everything they could. There was another story that Champions League qualification will make no impact on Liverpool's budget for the summer. Of course it won't, because there isn't one. He'll have 10 to £15 million pounds to spend, plus whatever he can raise from sales. Because that is the Fenway Sports Group way, to be cheap. Um, Gareth Bale's upturn in form has led to Real Madrid hoping it will make it easier to offload him on a permanent deal in the summer. Nobody is buying him off you. You are just going to eat that contract until it runs out. Netherlands midfielder Ginny Wijnaldum's contract at Liverpool runs out in the summer, but the 30-year-old says there is no news about his future and the priority at the moment is turning around Liverpool's form. Yeah, um, I think... I think that's obvious. Look, he's he's almost certainly leaving. He's probably going to go to Barcelona. And the best of luck to him if that's what he chooses to do. Manchester United have made Leeds Brazilian forward Rafinha their top summer transfer target. That is from the same uh, shenanigan Spanish group who seem to maybe be trying to muscle in 
on the territory of the spoofer with the catchphrase uh, by being oracles of all transfer uh, news and and rumours. It's likely that United do have interest, but they will not know who United's top targets are. Uh, France's 24-year-old winger Kingsley Coleman, who has been linked with Manchester United, has rejected Bayern Munich's first offer of a contract Kingsley Coleman is a tremendously talented player who's finally starting in the last two years to show real consistency. Unfortunately for him, Bayern also own Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry, both of whom are better players than him. But he is the perfect third winger for Bayern to have because he plays both sides. He's very comfortable either side and is a big game player. Uh, If he becomes available, there'll be a lot of interest in him. The agent of Arsenal striker Alex Lacazette has offered the 29-year-old to Atletico Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus. My advice would be aim lower. Aim lower. How do you think you're going to perform that badly for Arsenal over your time there and then move up a level? Former Arsenal and France manager Thierry Henry says he would like to manage the Gunners, but is on a learning curve and knows if you're not successful, you're not going to get these opportunities. Uh, Thierry Henry is not a good manager as things stand. He was disastrous at Monaco and um, he hasn't been overly impressive with Montreal Impact either. He managed 20 games for Monaco, won four of them. He's managed 29 games for Montreal and won Nine of them. So out of 49, he has won 13 while losing 27 and drawing nine. Uh, His teams have struggled to score goals while conceding them at an alarming rate. So, yeah, I don't think Thierry Henry ever really has a chance of managing anybody of note and is only really getting managerial jobs because his name is Thierry Henry. Um, Uruguay striker Edison Cavani has decided to leave Manchester United at the end of the season and signed for Boca Juniors. There's a couple of reports around at the moment that he's not happy uh, at how little he's played this season, that he has asked Oli Gunnar Solskjaer to explain it to him and hasn't really been given an answer that he likes. Arsenal will reportedly move to sign former Aston Villa defender Jordan Amavi on a free transfer this summer when his 20 Sorry, when the 26-year-old contract expires at Marseille, he would be a clever signing. He, he's a good player who would fill a need for Arsenal. They need a backup left-back. Um, he's been really good for Marseille. He was really good for Villa until he blew out his ACL. He was a big signing for Villa to get at the time. He's part of that group that came in over, a, yeah, I think, a two-year period where they signed a lot of good players and managed to make a mess of the entire thing. They got relegated and all the players went on to do really well. Manchester United, Tottenham and Liverpool are interested in 23-year-old Fiorentina defender Nikola Milinkovic. He is very, very good. He would be a very good fit for United, a very good fit for Tottenham and a very good fit for Liverpool. So, yeah, any of them get him, they'll be doing really well. Uh, The Evening Standard has the story on Mark Noble's contract extension. Uh, Norwich have already approached Tottenham about extending the loan of Oliver Skip for uh, through next season. Clever. He's been really good this season, played a big part in their rise to the top of the league. Uh, looks like they'll come up very, very comfortably. So it makes sense that they'd want to keep him. 
Former Atletico Madrid and Chelsea striker Diego Costa has been offered a €3 million Euro a year contract at Benfica. Um, that would indicate to me that Darwin Nunes could be off in the summer. I know there's a couple of Premier League clubs have been linked to him. They seem to want to just put together an old man eleven, you know, with the likes of Vertonghen and Otamendi, overpriced, overpaid players that haven't been good in a couple of years. Seems to be the new Benfica way. Um, so yeah, congrats. Get get every penny you can, Diego. Uh, Celtic have offered a pre-contract to Wigan Athletic striker Kyle Joseph as they look to fend off growing interest from Tottenham. Um, this is another one of those unfortunate things for Wigan where this is a very, very talented young player who's come through their academy and should have been part of a very bright future for them. But because of their financial woes, um, the likes of Jensen Weir, Alfie Devine, um, Anthony Robinson, these players all left for way, way below what they were worth. And it looks like he'll be the next one out the door. Uh, really, really, you know, really, really bad situation for Wigan. They, they lost. Uh, Joe Gellhart's the other one. He went to Leeds. Like, those lads were going to be the future of, of a really, really fun Wigan athletic team. And now they're all scattered around. It's a shame. It really is. Because we're in Divine together was going to be really good. Really, really good. Um, Gellhart's really talented. Joseph is meant to be talented as well. And, um, yeah, unfortunately for Wigan, players that maybe in three or four years with development could have brought them 40, 50 million pounds, uh, they'll probably end up with about five to six million pounds for the for the job lot and you know that doesn't help with their financial situation uh that is it that is the show for today thank you as always for listening thank you to mr drinkle for his uh, his work in the background and thank you to fox haunt for the title music i will be back tomorrow take care of yourselves and goodbye Podcast Network.